Hello all and welcome to episode two of the Cherryton School Report, a podcast about B-Stars. I'm your host, Sabrina Ray, and joining me from a stressful hellscape is my childhood friend Don Munson, who is not imaginary? I, uh, it's really hard to respond to a, a veiled accusation <laughs> that you're an imaginary, but no, uh, if you're hearing this, it appears that I am not imaginary. And by you, I don't mean Sabrina Ray, I mean our audience. I mean, I had a lot of, like, imaginary friends when I was a kid, because I had several flesh-and-blood ones, but I spent a lot of time in my own head. Uh, It was a little more challenging for us being... We both had older sisters. We both had no siblings close in age. We both lived in suburbia, where you and I were the closest people to each other, and we were not exactly, like, you couldn't see my house from yours. Oh my god, listener, I couldn't see his house from his mailbox. Oh, he had like a mile long driveway, and that's it was the a quarter like, mile long. Yes, that's the shortcut. That's the shortcut. The long cut is like it's like the hateful eight. You have to get in like a buggy, and like a, a gentleman in a, in a long duster coat comes. And... I mean, you lived on a what was it, a full acre? I don't know how big your lot was. Yeah, our, our, our house was not. Um, our house was not that big, but we had quite a lot of yard for me to mow in my in my heyday, my my hay fever day. I mean, your parents have moved on from that place, but uh, I mean that whole that whole area is just hysterical in a lot of ways. I mean, you did not mention that the house that I grew up in and the road that connected us to the house was built before the road was built. Well, you had one driveway that was never paved, which was super long. Yeah, that's right. But that went over to the other road. That was the original access road. Yeah. And then when the new road was built nearby, instead of paving the old road, they my parents built a new driveway out to the new road. I still don't fully understand the whole logistics. That's of all right. I don't want to bore the audience with the logistics of your roads, but... <laughs> that weren't our roads... The main point is we both spent a fair amount of time on our own dreaming up situations in our heads and playing fantasy games in our minds. You know what game I remember most of all playing with you was um, we were hanging out like behind your house or like right on the like past the front porch and playing with um, like little toy cars that we would like let just fall down these little like concrete inclines. Um, Steps. Those were steps. Yeah. And I didn't even like toy cars that much. <laughs> no, we didn't actually. I don't recall us playing. I do remember one um, not so fond memory is uh, John Snow, who I don't know that you ever knew, but he was invited over at one point, and I think we were both six. And we ended up throwing our matchbox, or my matchbox cars, at each other and made all these gouges in all the window frames and in the wall. And my parents were horrified. I do not remember was, this. Well, I don't think I was part I was, of no, this. No, you were not part of it. But I was punished worse for that than anything else in my oh, entire my childhood. The ladder to the loft in my bedroom got taken away. Oh my gosh, my parents are furious. And Jon Snow was... And he's a Targaryen. Oh no, spoiler alert. <laughs> he was never invited back over to my house. <laughs> Um, as a Game of Thrones joke. No, I, I got it. I got it. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> I, he, he was not... Uh, I don't know what he knew. You know nothing about window hey, jams. I mean, that, you... Door jams and window fixtures. You and uh, fixtures. <laughs> Jeff used to go... We went, Remember they like filmed a, a movie with... I, I don't remember. They were filming in the Robin backyard. Williams? Yeah, no, that happened with, with Jeff. And I'm, I'm confident you were involved. Oh, maybe. I don't remember much it about was, that. Whatever the theme was, it was fairly goth. What's the theme today? The t- theme is, how How have you been spending your quarantine, Mr. Monson? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, I have been watching Beastars and taking copious notes on how a wolf was born. To me, that's sad, because mine has been filled with Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, and I've been hitting the far end of my streaming media queue. So I watched an indie horror film called The Endless. I watched Shoplifters by Koreeda Hirokazu, the uh, Japanese auteur who did um, Nobody Knows. They're like really heartwarming, like small stories uh, that are also heart-wrenching <laughs> by the end. Um, and, and, you know, like, yeah. 
And and Beastars, I've been watching it again well, to uh, to have lots to say. Uh, I've been just trying to maintain an exercise regime, and we've been doing a fair amount of cooking, so I'll give myself credit on that. Um, All right, nice. Any, make anything interesting? Well, have you cooked any of the animals we've seen on Beastars so far? You know, come to mention <laughs> it, I've eaten a lot oh, of pork, no. and I have not seen a single pig on Beastars. Is that because you ate them all? You beast. (laughs) Legoshi would be proud and or horrified. Yeah, I think he'd be horrified. He doesn't seem to like being a beast much, which is kind of one of the themes of these two episodes. I fully agree with that. He is not comfortable in his identity, and there is a lot of narrative exposition focused on the nature of one's true identity and people encouraging him to embrace Mm -hmm. it and, you know, there's a lot of, and we'll get to that, especially at the end of episode four, I think. Yeah, definitely. Let's start it off by talking about episode three. Um, first of all, this is, again, the best opening song. I love it. I love the stop motion animation. I'm a huge Laika fan. Do you know who Laika is? They do like all the stop motion films for kids, basically. Um, uh, Coraline and uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, they did that. I mean, I am a huge film. fan of that as well. So I, I was not aware of the reference, but I do like the style. You like um, the style. <laughs> what do you, what do you want from here? I adore it. It's my everything. No, I was making a pun off of the name, buddy. No, Keep no, no, up. No. Keep up. Um, Is it I, too late for you? Are you supposed to be in bed already? I, uh, I shall politely decline to answer the question as to the state of my mental health i think it should be you should get the death penalty for hitting the skip intro button (laughs) on b stars someone on twitter put it in this way which i thought was hilarious they said it's like one of those ads for like uh like a depression drug where like you're all depressed at first and then when you take the drug everything's all sunny and happy (laughs) But then, but then at the end of this thing, it's like suddenly the darkness comes back and there's this giant blood red moon and blood everywhere. Yeah, it's... So, I wouldn't take that drug, probably. I mean, <laughs> depends how depressed you were, I guess. <laughs> uh, but moving past the opening just for a moment... Yes, are we going into the show? Because it starts, it's going to pick up right where it left off. You know, we had Legoshi... Uh, not knowing what signal he's given Haru that has convinced her that he's there just for sex and she's stripped down and she's making her move on him and then we had cut away and now we're right back to that. So and, what did you think about this scene? Um, I should, did it play out how you expected? Yes, it did pan out how I expected because uh, for a couple of points, the the cold hard logic of the situation dictated that we would not have a consummation at this point in the particular development of the series because we are developing um legoshi as a naive uh we we need to explore and journey with him as he uh learns the ways of the world and if he were to um consummate a relationship Uh with haru right here i think it would have been a very bold and uh different stroke (laughs) but it was it was not at all expected by me and in fact this went the direction i expected which is he runs away in horror when he runs away it's really cute actually because uh he throws a a blanket over her and like says you gotta keep this blanket on because you might get bug bites he doesn't even like make it seem like it's a modesty thing and then he catches his tail in the door when he, like, slams it behind him. Yeah. So I thought that was really a cute moment for the two. They're developing this particular relationship for a longer term, and that is great. Um, but then that meant to me we had to end, or we had to uh, de-escalate the situation, and it, it played out more or less the way I expected. We uh, get a little more in Haru's head where she's like, oh, did I do the wrong thing? How did I misinterpret this? Did you get a little hot and bothered by the way she was talking? It was very like, it was very like paying for like a private lap dance in the wine room or something. Like she was like complimenting him and making little observations about the way that his fur up top matched the fur below and like, it was just she was in control but she was like setting this romantic mood and he was just like yeah well but that (laughs) speaks once again to his naivete but i think she also made some comment like hey i'm the only one carrying my weight around here you know i'm trying to make this 
into which implies that she has knowledge of what are good and what are not good um, ways to uh, escalate or de-escalate sexual tension. Um, I also think that she's really good at reading other people, or in this case, animals, I guess. Um, she's good at reading other animals, and I think that she often assumes the worst of them. And the way that Lagoshi behaves is kind of inscrutable to her. And I think that she kind of giggles at the ridiculousness of it because she's truly surprised now, that you may be he reading wasn't ahead there for sex. Here, uh, or referencing ahead, because there's no indication to me uh, that she is particularly good at reading other animals. And in fact, this is an example where she did a rather poor job of reading Lagoshi's. And you made, you made, you carved out the, this exemption. Yeah, you carved. No, but the way she behaves going into this situation, the way she goes, behaves going into this, into this moment, uh, suggests that she has that experience of of expecting people to take advantage of her, and obviously they do because later in the episode or earlier in the episode, I think before we even get here, they showed the anteater and why he was so stressed out because uh, they showed a flashback to when that male harlequin rabbit slept with Haru, and um, he was, seems really excited at first by the prospect of a relationship with a super cool girl rabbit, the super cool girl rabbit. And then when he realizes that we're going to have to figure out a way to talk you about should this just, stuff. You like, should, I mean, so she is a girl. And in fact, there's, there is, it's like an added dimension. You and I would talk about like our experiences as a man and that's what Lagoshi does. But he also talks about his experiences as a wolf. So it's just an added dimension to the whole, uh, the whole piece of knowing oneself. You not only have to know like yourself you as a man or a woman, you have to know yourself as where you stand in the animal hierarchy, which has herbivores and carnivores and presumably omnivores, which we touched on last episode, but we still haven't seen much of here. Right. And I, I, I'm just saying that like, once he finds out that another male has already been with her, he completely like becomes the victim here. Like she's this man eater who like tried to consume him. I mean, I, I get, I see red actually when I hear these kinds of discussions, it's like, what, what, if a guy goes out and sleeps with a bunch of women, you know, that's not judged. And so we have this double standard where people are like, oh, she's promiscuous. She's a slut. Yes. She's seen as a predator. And I'm like, dude, that's not the right way to be viewing her. And it's, it, it plays on a lot of mm-hmm. somewhat outdated sexual mores and societal uh, expectations and yet here it is thrust in our face. I just don't, I don't fully understand why these guys wouldn't be a little more sex positive. Like clearly they want to have sex. <laughs> why, why wouldn't they want partners who are equally enthusiastic right. about the idea? Well, uh, part of it seems to be about possession, you know, like uh, if it's not mine, specifically mine and making me feel like I'm the one in control and I'm powerful, then it's not, it has no value or something like that. Yes, but then we're in the double standard again because. Oh no, I don't disagree. I the think Harlequin Rabbit. I'm glad you said it that Has way. a girlfriend, and they reference it right there, oh, where they're saying, "Hey, yeah, what's your girlfriend gonna think?" He's well, a man. obviously, he's not gonna tell her. I mean, <laughs> he's a man he's got... slut. He's a man slut. He totally uh, is. No, it's not even because that's not that's not a. Yeah. And I like I said, I think that term. I I'm trying not to put too much into her that's not exactly in the text so far, but. I would say that from what I read, even in just these two episodes, uh, it's fair to say that she is at least surprised. And uh, I would say that she's usually disappointed by men in her life. And to have someone come in and who bucks that disappointment or uh, goes against that, uh, not goes against, but um, goes in a different direction. I thought you were doing great with the use of the word bucks there. It was uh... Listen, buddy, I think I used... <laughs> hey, you're the one who was... <laughs> I think I used that in the first episode, and I also heard you say seeing red. And of course, I thought of a bull running at the <laughs> at the red flag. It probably wasn't even intentional. Now we're just doing it because it's. I made a promise. Um, you know, I, ha- I had to write a blurb. I had to write a blurb for the And one of the things that I wrote was that you would definitely get your fill of uh, animal puns. So I think we're living up to that credo. I, I'm if I do it, I it is subconscious, but I, I do use a lot of puns. All right, so this was a good sort of wind down from the end of episode two, and to me it was a 
it made sense. It was a natural outcropping. We have sort of the the dust settling on that. Lagoshi saying, oh, I don't really care what other people think, but I do want to see her again. Uh, then we move into some pretty disjointed elements of this particular... And yeah. Maybe... Go ahead. Yeah, it it's almost like... It's almost like it's not about her anymore. Now it's about figuring out what Lagoshi, what Lagoshi's deal is. Um, like, is he like? He's never been with a woman. He's never had the interest of a girl before. He's never been interested in girls particularly, and he's never been seen as like a male wolf before, right? Yeah, he's. he's this is a dimension of his character he has not fully explored. Right. But I, I still feel, or I should say, you're right that it introduces that dimension, but it is still closely tied to her because that is where that particular manifestation of desire lies. I think so, but I think that we're like just going to put her into the background for a little bit. We're going to put her on the well, shelf because she's not going to be... Literally and figuratively. Yeah, she's, she's not going to be a... not going to show up. Exactly. She's not showing but up. But I, I would say one thing that was a little funny to me is it struck me as he's thinking these particular thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen a lot of female carnivores kicking around, probably, right? But I realized that they they haven't made much of an appearance. No, and um, we do get at least one mention of one in this episode, the Cheetah Sheila on the dance team. And I want to get into that in just a bit here, but I do want to... Uh, talk a, a little bit about what we discussed last time while I'm here and I have it in my notes. Uh, the mice are tiny and they are mice mouse sized. So you were correct in that. Uh, and the doors... I actually was not under any doubt. The doors in the school that, you know. have different sizes according to the differing scales of the animal. Uh, that's another thing that you can kind of see in the background. So just wanted to put a pin in that one. There were two particularly disjointed elements here that um, that I wanted to bring up, and one of them mm-hmm. was Biology Day. I don't recall if there were any flashbacks of the the smaller mammals at that on that particular juncture, but I thought Biology Day was not terribly well explained to me, the viewer, <laughs> as to what what Biology Day is and what we're what we're doing on Biology Day. Well, I uh, I think there's two things happening there. One thing is that it's exactly what you were asking for last time, which is more of that world building, because we get to see some pretty fun visuals. We get to see lizards enjoying a steam. We get to see zebras blending in in a room with like striped poles. That was so frustrating because zebras blend in with tall grasses. That's what their camouflage is for. And therefore wandering around what it looks like a bunch of young trees was pretty weird i'm gonna take your word for that i don't know but they also had suspenders which i thought was a nice touch (laughs) uh they also had polar bears enjoying low temperatures although i think polar bears do do okay in regular temperatures i don't know if they prefer it or not but oh no they really don't actually oh okay so So, yeah regular temperatures I mean, they definitely, you wouldn't see polar bears wandering around the same places that, like, maybe you'd get some Siberian but, tigers. I, I don't know, you, I'm you, going off here, but the, they definitely would die, perish in the This the is a scene that African comes a bit spelt. later um, when Louis confronts, you know, uh, Lagoshi about his aggressive nature. And it's just sort of a continuation of a dialogue they started in the previous two episodes. Um, and... I think that it's good to discuss that first just because it leads sort of into why we get biology day and why it's so important for Lagoshi to like be with his own kind and have to answer a question and and uh, and confront how others see him. Okay, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to go um, into that. Sure. Um, because you're right. You, we did have that... Um, confrontation isn't the right word, but... No, um, it's a strange little thing they got going on. It's if I didn't know better, I'd say it was the inklings of romance, but I don't think it is. <laughs> well, if I am to read into the subtext, because we have here 
uh, Louis complaining about his frailty as an herbivore, um, the frailty of his body, which I thought was a little odd because in fact herbivores can be big and strong and certainly carry their own weight. You don't, <laughs> you don't uh, have to be a carnivore to have a tremendous amount of muscle. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I'd like to point out the strongest land mammals are elephants. Uh, second behind them are hippos and hippos. Uh, both of those, I mean, are mostly plant eaters. But that being said, um, Louis is bemoaning kind of the weakness of his body. And then Lagoshi comes in and asks him a question about lighting. Uh, is very demonstrative with his hands. Louis gets, I would say, annoyed and accuses him of being, accuses Lagoshi of being unable to mask his carnivorous instincts. Yes. Um, which is why his body is gesticulating wildly and then accosts him and then assaults him uh, and sticks his hand in his mouth and demands to be bitten. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. This whole scene is great. And I just want to, I just, for the audience, just to to go back and, and, and see that scene again, it's a split screen. And it shows it shows um, Louis's beautiful like eyes, but they're like super focused and intense. And it shows Lagoshi's like super like massive paws with his claws out, and his hands are making these elegant sort of floundering motions. And um, and the, the that's the, a really interesting view you put up elegant floundering well yeah it, floundering. it's almost fumbling in a way like but I, I didn't feel that i i felt it was i would stress more on the side of elegant i thought his gestures were emotive and expressive and not aggressive i thought that was i thought that was jealousy on the part of louis to be perfectly honest well what i'm saying is that louis has beautiful gentle eyes but he he contorts them into a bit of like fierce intensity right and Lagoshi has these dangerous, clumsy claws that are, are lethal, but he he uses them to express himself in sort of an elegant way. And um, I like that they're both seen at the same time, so you can tell that Louis focused on those. Sure, but I think they're always uh, elegant. I don't think there's anything clumsy or... And I think the way they're portrayed is they're not clumsy. In fact, he complains about his nails being, you know, he cuts his nails every night, but they grow back sharp all the time. And they're, they're these beautiful, elegant hands. Right, but these are the um, same hands that are not entirely in his control. So maybe that's what I'm kind of getting at. Well, that would be sort of a, a dysmorphic view that he might have of his own body. But mm -hmm. I, I tell you as a viewer externally, you know, the whole... When you look at Lagoshi, he's a he's you know, getting back to the fine tailoring of the clothing. He's a beautiful specimen of a creature who hunches over and is sort of hiding his body and trying to minimize his presence when he's he could in fact look as elegant and as debonair and as as powerful mm -hmm. as uh, Louis is doing all the time. And I think Louis is annoyed that he constantly has to project that same uh, image that uh, Lagoshi is constantly trying to minimize. You know, he knows that if he had the same frame, the same structure as uh, Lagoshi is working with, he could, he could essentially multiply the impact that he currently has with his current weak body. Yeah. Uh, and I, so um, to me, it's, it's very much rooted in jealousy. Um, and when we say and when we say weak body, when we say weak body, what we mean is that in the previous episode his leg was injured. We weren't sure how bad it is, but now that we've seen him practice, he's clearly a step behind. And um, the sort of image of a of a of a deer with a lame leg, uh, it just projects weakness. And I think that's partially what's motivating Louis here um, is he he feels like he's he's being controlled by something out of his control which is his naturally inclined weakness um so when he puts his hand in his mouth he's sort of testing himself is how i saw it um yeah i agree with that and what you see is at the moment that 
Legoshi does sink his fangs into him, uh, you see Louis reflected in those fangs, and Louis's confidence sort of melt into fear, and his eyes, which were so intense, suddenly widen a bit, and he retracts. He falters. He falters, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But I... But I, I was not clear as to the, the source of that. Are we, and perhaps this is the intention of the directors of this episode, you know, are we supposed to read true weakness into Louis at this particular point? Or are we, or is there something more? You know, what, why does he falter? Why he is, he's browbeating Legoshi into biting him, even though it's prohibited, it's, and he's not even allowed to bear his fangs. That's not allowed. That's illegal. Right. Um, but it was, it, to me, it was quite... Uh, it, Louis is testing himself. What does he find in this particular episode? And I don't think that's fully explained to us. No, and without knowing Louis's backstory, which is hinted at as something... Uh, what did they call it? Because, okay, let's take this back for one quick second. Um, they give us some more information about this weirdo drama club. <laughs> oh, man. I did, I'm did. i glad you're bringing it back to this because I... They, starting off with the... the what was it? it was the cheetah in the BDSM club that she was working at part-time at age, what was it, 14? Yeah. 14? Yeah. But then, the, 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 like, I, I thought to myself at that moment, like, oh, it's like La Femme Nikita or something, or, or like uh, Marvel's Black Widow. Like, this is like a, this is going to be like a Russian spy mill. Like, the kids who are chosen for the drama club all have, like, a talent that they can, like, exploit, like, uh, to make them assassins or something. Maybe that's what we're going oh, you for. Went, you went to zero to 100 real quick well, while the, we're talking about this BDSM Like, club. literally, like, um, because of what Kai said, which is that everyone was scouted. I started thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, dance, dom, you know, like uh, k- people who did things in their childhood, uh, trauma. <laughs> who did things in like, their did, childhood. Like did it. untoward things in their childhood. They're all still children, trauma, aren't they? Trauma. I mean, this is really like, out of children, out of childhood I don't here. think it's that far a stretch to say it was something like, um, like those kinds of movies. Um, but then they go off and they're like, the giraffe Mina has trypophobia, an aversion to the sight of irregular patterns or spots, and can't stare at her own body in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, you don't have to. <laughs> I I was. There was a bit of a of a whipsaw moment when they were going through the various characters and their backstories on this, and I was like, "What the heck well, is going what on?" Was it the, and then, of course, the rhino Moro believed something about her horn. Oh, the, it was it was the rhino's horn was I thought it was a he, but maybe oh, it's maybe a she, it's a he was the guardian angel. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so right. So he sees the guardian angel, but everyone's like, "Uh, dude, that's just your horn." Yeah, because it's always with him or her, right? It's always with them. Um, and Kai the mongoose was abandoned by his parents, so we now know that probably Lagoshi and Louis both have a secret that they haven't shared. Absolutely, and I the. Legoshi is saying, oh, well, Louis has a secret? And then my thought mind was like, we actually don't really know anything about Legoshi's background at all. Nope. Like, nope. And my mind was like, oh, yeah, you know, when wolves give birth, they give birth to a litter of pups. So presumably, Legoshi is not alone in the world, has siblings, but of course there's no reference to any of that, and we just don't know anything. We don't know anything about anybody's backstory. Well, that's an interesting place to go then, because now we can jump back to Biology Day, which is the day when, I guess, animals get in touch with their biology. I wasn't quite sure what... So my thought is, like, you have to go and hang with your own species. It's sort of like everybody gets to retreat to a safe space yeah it like, it felt very much like uh like a spa day of sorts <laughs> well yeah and how it manifested yeah um and the way that they treat the wolves is they all go to this room and there's an artificial full moon above them <laughs> which is just a lovely image and you know i think that wolves are pack animals but there's also the the term lone wolf um and I don't know whether Lagoshi is a lone wolf or whether he is feels whether he is or is inclined to be part of a pack. Well, 
I personally would say right off the bat that he is a lone wolf because he's constantly ruminating, never bouncing his ideas off of other people. This is the first. This is the first time we've seen him with other canines, other. Um... And they spend their idle chit chat talking about, oh, do you think there's a rabbit on the moon? How's it gonna breathe? <laughs> have you heard about uh, that legend? No. Okay, it's... So I'm glad that you have some background on that because I was like, that's a total non sequitur. It is a Japanese legend that there are rabbits on the moon who use hammers to pound rice into mochi or like stretchy gluten balls. That are very popular uh, as a as a treat, I guess. Also, they I they get mochi. caught in old people's throats, and then they use a vacuum cleaner to suck it out. And this is a true story. <laughs> this, and, sorry, did you just say this is a true story? This is true. Um, not the part about that the mochi gets stuck in old people's throats. Yeah, the part about getting stuck in old people's throats. Like it's a real terror. <laughs> Okay, I, I didn't know which part of that story you were claiming was real. I was at like, my friend's rabbits vacuum things out of old people's hearts. This is a true story. I was literally at my friend's house, and I swear to God, his mom like brought out the vacuum cleaner before serving the mochi. I never got to see no. someone actually use it though. Yeah, I would hope not. I would think that would in fact not be the most effective way of clearing mochi out of somebody's throat. I mean, it might clear out some other stuff too. Like your, I guess. Like, I mean, what sort of specialized vacuum would you need? Okay, I we are not going down that rabbit hole. Oh no! Um, should we have like a bell we sound every time this happens? I, I, yes, we absolutely should. Uh, or a, a a a triangle that we ring or absolutely. something. Absolutely. That that was a particularly bad one. I I fully admit. Um, okay, I, can we step back? A, the Cherryton Honor Award uh, was yeah. was awarded this episode, and I did not. It made no impact on my consciousness until the second time I saw the episode, and I was like, "What is this?" Uh, I don't know. I guess this is also a chance for us to know a little bit more about the school. Um, like we see that they have a PR team, which I think is just the school newspaper. And um, also, we get to see the older tiger principle. You know how we talked about whether we could tell if uh, animals were old or young? You can definitely tell he's older. He's a little bit more, like, disheveled and wrinkled. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I, he, he, he was an older one, just like the pelican and, has a bit of a and this, waddle. this also sets up Louis as the sort of front runner for Beastar, um, which we still don't really know a lot about. Yeah, there's there's a fair bit of talk. I mean, he's there accepting the award. He's talking about how it just yes, you're right. It once it's doing more to cement the importance of the drama club, and then we cut to the to the um, the newspaper guild or the editor berating his reporters for not getting my least more favorite shots part of the episode. My least so, favorite. Yeah. That, I mean, the best part about it was the mouse on the teeny desk yeah. yelling at people. And the, but... the people he's yelling at are those dangerous animals you were talking about. There's like an elephant and an oxen and a lizard and like a baboon. But a baboon is pretty scary too. And, and a mouse would not do well against <laughs> but a But I don't want to hang with any of these things. I mean, I'm. are you judging them based on their species, Don? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of the real world counterparts of these Me creatures. Me too. Although elephants are pretty cool. They get drunk in fields, apparently. <laughs> I've ridden on an elephant before. I have not, but I've seen them at like I've seen them up close. And they're very beautiful and I, I love them. But I, I think they probably uh don't like us as much as we like them. Yeah, well probably not. <laughs> we should talk um, more about that, because I don't have any information to give the audience and it's not about the show at all. Um, well, I do have a fair amount, but... Uh, let's wrap up this episode. Um, let's do that, because I do want to move on to the next one. I, Again, we're dealing with... I mean, I talked about this earlier, but now we're sort of like at the part where Lagoshi looks up at the moon, he sees Haru because they mentioned a rabbit, and uh, he then goes and has a little talk to himself about how he sort of recognizes himself as a male wolf because he's finally got in, like interest from a female. And he's sort of starting to get in touch with that side of him. And his tail wags and it's adorable. <laughs> Am I saying adorable too much? Because he's a, just an adorable character, except for the whole, like, uh, walking death. <laughs> well, I mean, you're meant to see, and well, 
I don't know exactly what you're meant to say. That's what we're sussing out here. But we're talking about an adolescent teen um, working his way toward maturity. And I don't, uh, that is adorable only from a certain distance. It's an area f ripe with minefields and emotional excess and et cetera, which is what we're going to. But I think most teens are not referred to as adorable specifically because they are prone to did you, uh, those Did you have weaknesses. a lot of experience with girls, Don? What was like the most awkward experience you had growing up with girls? Wow, I am not about to rack my mind to find oh, the most on. awkward experience with girls I can come up with and disgorge it here on this podcast. I wow, disgorge it. That that's just that's graphic. Okay, I feel I feel like you you violated me with those words. Well, I would certainly be violating my own privacy if I decided to think up the the most painful anecdote of my youth. Well, let me tell you about my lack of experience with girls, Don. I once clotheslined a girl I liked over a bed in college. And that's college. Like, I was a late bloomer. I was still trying to fumble my way towards understanding not just who I was, because I'm transgender if I haven't said it before, and, um, like... Not just who I was as, like, a person, but, like, what I was interested in, like, how I could relate to other people in, like, a boy-girl, boy-boy, girl-girls manner. And, like, I was at a party, I saw her sitting on the bed, and I thought to myself, I should clothesline her. Do you know what a clothesline is? It's called a lariat. I, I, yeah, I'm fully aware of what a clothesline is. I guess It's like a wrestling uh, move where you stick out your arm like totally straight. No, this I, isn't for you. This is for the audience. Okay. You stick out your arm totally straight. You run at someone and you smash them across the chest slash throat. And I actually did it so hard. She flipped over the bed and landed on her butt on the other side of the bed. And that was it. That was that was the last time uh, she ever gave me the time of day. And now, like... I have an special insight. I have special insight into how it probably felt to have a six foot like male aggressor come at you with stupid drunken strength and just like attack you with a violent move. And I am so sorry for that. To me, it made oh. total sense in my mind. And now it doesn't at all, obviously. I hope that person has no recollection. I am the worst. Of that particular I moment. was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think I was just trying to assert something that wasn't really there. And I was... It's very difficult to be in that adolescent, post-adolescent phase of your life as a boy. Um... <clears throat> I can certainly say that, uh, and regardless of whether you're transgender or not, I, that was the. I think that is a universal feeling, and I certainly don't. I, I don't know what it's like for women, but uh, it's you have to wrestle down your own emotions, and I think that's what they're trying to do, and are doing a fairly good job of doing with Lagoshi here uh, in the uh, in the show because he is having to wrestle with these emotions and their their expression in spite of himself, just like back in episode two, when he started speaking to Haru and said, you know, his mind was saying, please do not speak to her about her, about anything. And his mouth just yeah. asked her about her arm. <laughs> just runs off and starts asking about it. All right, that is, I mean, the episode ends with Louis basically breaking his leg which we'll find out in episode four um nice cracking sound it's a, well. yeah it's followed by a cracking sound so that's like shorthand for it snapped now i don't recall did he i thought he passed out at the end of episode three he does pass he, out um i don't know he's supposed to be stunning the the whole play is goofy to me but uh he believes in it and the crowd believes in it so i guess i believe in it you can have a masterful performance even of a of a crazy role oh no i get it i get it it's just it doesn't reach me and it's not even i don't know if it's cultural like sometimes some types of performance don't reach me the way others do well in all fairness to you we didn't see the performance we saw enough what yeah yeah i'm sorry even if you took snippets of of 
Othello or King Lear or Hamlet to draw on the strong Western tradition here, uh, seeing them out of context might be like, what the heck is this show? I don't know. Maybe. But Well, I'm going to give them more, I mean... You give them all the credit you want, but we're on to episode four. Give it your all. Fair enough. Hello, you beautiful blood-sucking babes. I'm Sahana. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of Summer Twilight Book Club, a podcast where two dumb bitches with social work degrees reread the four horniest books of their teenage years. If you're at all curious about any of the following, this is the podcast for you. Does Bella Swan have a car crash fetish? Yes, I am telling you right now the answer is yes. Does Stephanie Meyer understand healthy relationship boundaries? Has Bella Swan ever had a secure attachment in her life? How has Twilight impacted the societal and my personal conceptions of romance? Why does Stephanie Meyer owe Sahana and all other brown people reparations? Why is Edward Cullen so into edging? You can find Summer Twilight Book Club at theorangegirls.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you access podcasts to find out. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually... A lot of games. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is. So moving on, getting into episode four, uh, it's called Give It Your All, um, and we're starting off with the PR club, it's not really that important. We got Louie, he's laid up, um, he hates being pitied, um, and he, in order to sort of answer everyone's concerns and sort of take control again, he immediately elects Bill, the tiger, to fill in as Adler. Which is, we must point out, someone who wears the skull of a herbivore. <laughs> so, probably not initially made to be played by a carnivore. I guess, I don't know. I feel like we read a lot into this character of Adler, and we don't know anything about him. Yeah, uh, is he a literal Grim Reaper? I wasn't really sure watching oh, what we I, saw of the I performance. Oh, I presumed he was, in fact, the eponymous Grim Reaper. There's something very Japanese about the way the play comes about, too, because it's got, like, he talks about the spirits of spring and fall or something like that. Or Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Bill is overjoyed, um, and this is kind of our first chance to get, really, to know any carnivores outside of Lagoshi. I mean, we met his roommate, the the dog Jack, but very briefly. So Bill is the first real, like, carnivore's carnivore. He's like the opposite of Lagoshi. He just loves being a carnivore. He wants to be on stage. He wants to project. He wants to make something of himself. I may be reading into it a little bit at the end there, but, like, he does not shy away from the spotlight in the exact way that Lagoshi does in the episode makes a point of stating that out loud. Right. I think he says something like, um, I want to like show them what a carnivore can do when a carnivore is the center of the attention or whatever, right? So, um And that's when he and Lagoshi are yeah. rehearsing slash fighting on stage. Yeah, because Lagoshi has to fill in as the villain for the spot that he vacated in order to take over the role as hero. Now, it seemed like uh, Louis was calling the shots for all of this. He put Bill up as the understudy. He was he the one who said Lagoshi is to take the place of Bill as the as the villain. He may have, but it also it was a pragmatic decision because apparently every other person who was involved in the um, was in, already involved in a role, and Lagoshi was sort of like extra. I mean, Lagoshi seems to have a very important backstage role, don't get me wrong, but there are... He does, I agree. You know, he's in there speaking with a star, making um, nuanced and technical decisions on lighting, and 
seeking, you know, approval and naysay. And there was, it was in this episode, I believe, that I mentioned that he's been doing this for four years. Yeah. I'm still confused as to the duration of this particular <laughs> type of schooling in that he's not done yet. He's four years into it. There are people that are older than him. When did people start here and when are they leaving? I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question, but it's not something that I can answer right now. So I'm just going to move on. Um, Fair enough. They spar. It gets primal, you know. Um, it seems like they're sort of like uh, going hard at each other. I compare it to, again, I made a pro wrestling reference earlier. It's sort of like when two wrestlers do something called shoot wrestling, where their strikes are done for real to add a, an air of legitimacy to it. Like, uh, none of neither of them is holding back as much as they might otherwise. And I think it's mostly Bill who's who's pushing on Legoshi too. Well, and Bill is encouraging this because presumably they're both up for and it. it. They're both... And it makes him look stronger. Yeah. And he is a big guy. He's a Bengal tiger. Yeah. I Is that a... What's a Bengal tiger compared to, like, say, a Seattle tiger? Well, there are different kinds of tigers. You've got Siberian tigers. You've got... I think the Bengal refers to the, the largest species of, um, of cat predator there is, honestly. Okay. And, in fact, it may be the biggest predator like everything that's bigger at that point is like bears and they are much more omnivorous as opposed to pure um pure carnivores and then they sort of underline some of the themes that we were talking about previously and that they were hinting at which is that lugoshi makes louis sick because of his because he's hiding his true power and bill is an out and proud carnivore he would never waste his life like lugoshi does um but there's a dark side to that statement i think um and again, we're sort of back to that theme of, like, the death wish that sort of hovers over the two characters. Like, I don't know why Louis is so intensely focused on provoking carnivores or, like, sussing them out, but he seems to. I always got the impression that he is supposed to, he feels it is his burden to show that herbivores are, can be, leaders can be strong can represent themselves on an equal footing as carnivores who naturally get the edge right right that's a so very good that, that's and the way that way mm. if they are able to show that sort of background then the world's the heavens are in alignment everybody is playing well with each other while as i get the i get the unstated uh impression that should herbivores fall into this secondary role should mm. they cower in front of carnivores that then the order of things will be upended and you know chaos will reign and that's not what anybody in quote unquote this world wants right even the carnivores seem at least contented by the current situation probably because Life as a carnivore on the outside looking in is less ideal than sort of being part of society. And I do wonder how much this plays into gender politics of, well, okay, we've got women in the workforce, so everybody should just be happy with that. Uh, and you're not allowed to return to a male-only dominated style of working where we've got separate spheres, etc. Right. I like that you said that because as I told the audience earlier, I am transgender. I've been on both sides of that sort of like experience. And um, it's it's an interesting thing to go from a carnivore to an herbivore, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have can speak with it with more experience than certainly I can and than most can. And I, I do, I, I appreciate that particular viewpoint. Um, and if we... If this podcast were more wide-ranging, talk we would talk about how the current situation seems to be um, forcing a reckoning of the journey we were on, but uh, I don't think we have time for that. Well, I would like to say that basically um, I, I did identify with the way Haru felt in one of the previous in the previous episodes because of how um, when I started, when testosterone left my system and estrogen took over, I lost like a large amount of my muscle mass <laughs> to the point where I like, and it's sexist to say, but I literally became weaker 
the weaker sex. Like I became physically weaker and also mentally I was like unprepared for it because women have their whole lives to sort of like come up with ways or sharpen the senses and sharpen their, uh, use their experience to counteract some of the discrepancies between the genders. And I don't, I didn't. I was just thrown right into it suddenly. And I remember like, I remember walking alone at night and for the first time in my entire life, I felt super intimidated and I actually felt like nature take over. And like, I could, I could sense more of the danger around me than I was able to before. And that's like biologically true because of just like instinct. Right. Well, you were like, I, you were used to having this layer of muscle, if we will. You're like, I can handle these situations. I know what I'm capable of. All in theory. Then, all in theory. Because I was well, one of the obviously, weakest. Obviously. I was one of the weakest carnivores along that whole. Well, but if we're, if we're, but you were, you know. Yes. Red as male. <laughs> I have, I was Tom, not red as female ever before taking, like, before transitioning. And I was red no, as male. The, and I would, yep. um, I was, I'm six foot, well, now I'm six foot one, but I was like six foot two, I would say. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, the height alone uh, is going to convey a significant advantage. Uh, but I completely understand where you're coming from there in the sense of like that, you, you, you don't have to think about what, how to compensate in other areas because the, you just rely on these natural gifts that you've got. And I can't imagine waking up one day and be like, well, you're, you're 40% weaker. Um, and you're just going to have to figure out what that means. <laughs> right. And like how the rabbits sort of shrink away when like confronted by these predators, it's not like, I, it's not something I could control really. It was like, um, one day a guy I worked with, like out of the blue, he just yelled at me. And if I had, still been on testosterone and I'd still been like with that male aggression I could have I I I think in the past I would have been like yelling back or like laughing and like like passing it off as like nothing but as a woman I like shrank and it it scared me and like I almost cried and luckily that person picked up on this discrepancy because I was out at that point though not like super far into it but like I was out and he picked up on it and he adjusted his behavior to like treat me a little bit less like harshly. But that was a brand new experience for me. And I, I definitely see that in this show when the herbivores are confronted by sort of that like carnivore aggression. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting way to demonstrate it. I've looked at clouds from both sides now. <laughs> well, we haven't focused on the main, the the two. What is this show about? The, the, the two things in this show, in this episode, I should say that really, the first one is the, um, the fact that uh, Bill is doping. Oh, yeah. So we find out that Bill is walking around with a vial of rabbit's blood, uh, which Lagoshi picks up on is able to smell uh and then there's some discussion about and so this was another unveiling piercing of the veil that uh covers this world and explaining a little more about it so this is used as a enhancer as a yeah i don't know what it's how exactly i mean it's it it revs you up but i don't know what it's supposed it to be unleashes to, the like beast <laughs> i guess you're doing a line of cocaine as an example i think i um, think so but, something like that so he's got the vial. Um, it was very unclear to... Lagoshi was like, oh, you know, this is not great for you to be walking around with this. And he sort of attacks Bill or is forceful with Bill. Um, and it's it's very unclear to me why. Like, Lagoshi obviously is aware that this isn't something anyone should have. Mm. and But he's doing flashbacks to Haru. Uh, mm. But this isn't Haru's blood. What? There's no indication that's Haru's blood. It's very stated up clear that it's not the blood of a student. Why do you think it is? Uh, why do you think it is? Why do I think what is? Why, why do, do you I think, think he... Lagoshi is reacting mm-hmm. so strongly? Why? Well, I I anticipate it is purely mixed up with Haru in his mind. But from a rational standpoint, he knows this stuff exists. Whether or not it's rabbit blood or not doesn't really matter. And I'm very curious as to 
you know, what is he hoping to accomplish by sparring with Bill? That's a question for you. My thought is that Legoshi is sort of punching himself. <laughs> um, because he's sort of ashamed of the worst parts of his carnivore self, um, when he sees that Bill, who is taking on the lead and is putting carnivores out in front of everybody, is going to do this thing that is dishonorable, I would say. Um, and especially because it's rabbit's blood in particular, but because he's going to do something dishonorable and he's going to bring dishonor to the play, um, which we have to say that Lugoshi definitely seems to respect Louis for his role and for the, uh, for the sanctity that he brings to the stage. Yeah, I'd agree he has the sort of the... Um, old sensibilities when it comes to the nobility of the purpose of the mission of the play of the actors guild or troupe or whatever what have you here the the sanctity of the drama club is supported by Lagoshi. yeah and and what that ends up turning into is kind of a travesty um he ends up beating bill uh, well, th- let's step back just a couple moments because that scene was bonkers. And <laughs> I thought that's what we were talking about. I thought we were. Yeah, well, no, I thought we're, right we were just in. talking about the altercation in the bathroom. Oh, okay, the altercation uh, in the bathroom. What was because that was where we had the flashbacks with Haru, right? Because um, that that was very clearly there. So they they spar. Bill, it's ten minutes before performance. Bill says, "Hey, this is perfectly justified doping. I want to put on a good show." Um, there's no reason not to do this. And Lagoshi, you know, he doesn't know what to do or think about it. He's nervous. We know that. He's ner- Well, it's 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 exacerbated. It's made him uncomfortable. I don't... It's clear he's not experienced with this and it may be doing too much for him. And it doesn't appear that he's giving all that great of a performance. No. Uh, he seems to be stumbling his lines a little bit. People are noticing that it's not... Um, it's not Louis. Well, that's how it read to me, is that, like, he's up there in someone else's role, and I think Louis warned him something, like, super angsty, like, the the role of uh, Adler is a curse of the expectations of the audience that you carry on I, your back. Yeah, there's a, it's a huge burden that you need to carry. I thought he was trying to meet that burden, but, I mean, the first of all, I was super annoyed that they're like, oh, it's not Louis, it's it's somebody else. It's like, if your lead actor who's supposed to be this big shot on campus breaks his leg right, and you put on an understudy who's clearly much bigger than Rui, <laughs> Louis, and then you don't announce it? Right. Like, I, this makes no sense. No. Um, well, a lot, of I, this, I got, I got, a lot of this doesn't make sense, but that's yeah, okay. Okay, fair enough. But so... Then we can get into the actual bonkersism side of what was Legoshi thinking to just go out there and start wailing on Bill? Well, I, I got nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if nobility plays into it, but... Well, yeah, I didn't... I'm All my con... Our discussion of nobility, that's thrown right out the window when we get to here. Because if you really want to respect the sanctity of your drama club, you don't go off script. That's for sure. Right. And that looked pretty darn unscripted. Right. That's why I said, well, I guess I got ahead of myself then. Because that's why I think that maybe it's it's talking about Lagoshi facing himself and facing his own, like, sin. You know, because he, uh, he obviously hurt Haru. And um, he's still working through those feelings of the awakened beast within him. And to see, like, a carnivore, like, bringing out their worst qualities. Uh, the ones, the, the very same qualities that Lagoshi's worked so hard to disguise. Um, maybe that was a trigger. I, I you know, I don't want to, like, put a pin in this one. I think that maybe there's uh, yeah, a lot you I, can interpret from it. I'm hoping that more of it comes clear later because... Doing that in any drama troupe should get you immediately kicked out. Uh, it should 
do all sorts like you've totally messed up the play that's not the point um you've you the know, audience seem to enjoy trying, themselves though they're... well of, yeah it, you know everybody enjoys a spectacle everybody enjoys a train wreck um but it it just defied like if he doesn't want to show the worst parts of carnivores then dropping the script and running out there to start punching the other guy in the face does not seem to me to be showcasing the best parts of carnivores i'm just that's that's just my interpretation and then the way it's saved is by a deus ex machina (laughs) of louis walking in presumably on his broken leg uh, i think he actually has a cast now though i i guess but he and then he just says be gone you imposter um adler and then you know don't you meanwhile legoshi has gone completely off script he's been punching bill um bill apparently can totally take it yeah grabs him in a huge bear hug rips a gash in his back and now we're blood brothers i guess um with these stripes to match and then louis has presence of mind to say don't let the audience see your back that is the least of people's problems right now my gosh he recognizes in louis the same sort of nobility though so he's well okay i uh, he louis still the noble character and he's swooping in to save everybody which he does i guess because the the audience is totally supercharged by this this is awesome this is fantastic this is a scripted play people will know what the plot is supposed to be and that this is not supposed to happen this is what i wrote in my notes the audience likes a pretty face (laughs) I mean, it just blows my mind. I, I mean, I wrote in my notes like, here. They literally... Straight up assault. Yeah. What is this brotherly embrace? And then the return of Louis. The, th- the final <laughs> thing I wrote for this episode was angsty high school bullshit, which is what you oh, you had that's in your right. notes last Thank time. Thank you so much for that call out. <laughs> um, it, it was an, an absolutely bonkers way to end like to the to think that louis stepped in and then restored or reestablished the honor to the drama club is absolutely laughable uh in the face of this i i I don't even know what to say so i'm i don't know where you go from here in episode five with respect to the drama club and i I honestly i do also feel like the um the inmates are running the asylum a little bit here because louis seems to have absolutely untrammeled power when it comes to the drama club and being able to to assign people roles and do whatever he wants and what is the what does the pelican guy even do is he just like a an advisor i think so a, a mentor i think we've seen advisors this whole time so we've got him and we've got um the little guy from the the little mouse guy from the um the rodent I the guess, editor's from the, chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from the pr club and um yeah so anyway Another way, uh, <laughs> we don't have quite as a bonkers a way to end the show here on the Cherryton School Report. Well, I'm not going to leap through the microphone and start wailing away on you. That would be um, a hate crime. It would, <laughs> it would definitely, I mean, I would it, hate it, it. it's less visually striking uh, than uh, what uh, Legoshi was doing to Bill. But, uh, also, like a space-time crime, you'd probably be tracked down by the space-time police. We'd get some good audio, though. We would. Some good, solid, oh, wet punches. Don, stop. Stop. Oh, Please, gosh. no. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that to be sampled out of context. <laughs> anyway, right. I loved talking to you again about this weirdo show. These were probably one of... I mean, the second one was definitely one of my lesser favorite episodes. Uh, it read like a very special episode, like they used to have of those '80s, like uh, like Full House type shows that would have like the one episode that was about drug abuse. <laughs> I I just don't know where they were coming from and where they were going to. It definitely, it's and thematically, I, I see it. Read the... Thematically, I see the tapestry, but like okay. in the in the I'm glad you in see the it. episode in the episode <laughs> i am definitely I just, on a on a ride like, and with no idea of the destination i'm just rolling with it at that point um so yeah thank you again for joining me um always a pleasure everybody thanks again for listening uh we'll be back again with another episode uh as the show gets more crazy 
and expands the world even further. And I'm so excited for Dawn to experience all that. Um, anyway, this is the Cherryton School Report. I'm Sabrina Ray. Dawn was here, and now he's gone. I, I, <laughs> I don't even get to say goodbye by myself. He's been hauled goodbye, away. everybody. <laughs> it's been nice knowing you. Yes. Um, and uh, I hope you'll go to... Um, my Twitter, it's at Stew of Boo, S-T-E-W-O-F-B-O-O. And uh, go ahead to Apple iTunes or wherever you're hearing this and give us a great rating. Tell us what you thought of the show um, and come back for the next one. Thank you for listening, and if you want to support this show and others like it made by a diverse community of smaller creators and marginalized voices please consider donating to our network Patreon, patreon.com slash theorangegroves, where you can access exclusive content from this and other amazing podcasts, including extras and cut content. And when I say extras, I mean our extras are extra. Be safe, have fun, bye. Toodles.